Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversations of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, we're going to explore the season of Pentecost. Earlier this year, in our sermon series on the spiritual practices, we articulated our plan to practice the seasons by practicing three strategic celebrations from the liturgical calendar, Advent, Lent, and Pentecost. So we'll talk about what Pentecost is, why we want to practice this season, and how we uniquely plan to practice this season. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. So, bro, I'm kind of excited to have this conversation about Pentecost, man. I've never celebrated Pentecost before. Me either. This is uh, these are strange territories for me to find myself in. <laughs> so, so none of the churches that you grew up in practice Pentecost. No, I don't even. I, when I was driving over here, I was trying to think: Did I even hear that preached on? Other than maybe going through an Acts expositional series, but it was just like, oh, hey, yeah, these they were able to understand each other. And then Peter preached this banger of a sermon and mm. thousands of people got saved. Mm. But I don't mm-hmm, think we ever like mm-hmm. camped out on Pentecost. What is it? Why is it significant? That's probably all I got, which is kind of a Christian history lesson. Do you, do you kind of think that's because of um, like just in general, the, the Protestant aversion to the liturgical calendar? It... Uh m- Probably, I would bet that it would. Some of the churches I grew up in, it probably started out of that of like, eh, that's that's too uh, Roman Catholic, so we're sure, just not going to sure. do that. Yeah. But I think it honestly is just people. Um, you have to do a little bit of digging to mine the jewels out of Pentecost, and like some of the. Things, that's why I'm excited about the things that we're going to talk about today when it comes to Pentecost, because I think if every church that I grew up in that didn't talk about Pentecost or celebrate Pentecost, I think if you were to give them this information, their minds would be blown and be like, oh, this is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's what we call in the literary community, it's what you call a mixed metaphor, right? <laughs> like Pentecost in one fell swoop is mixing like four different metaphors, five different metaphors from the Old Testament uh-huh. and fulfilling like four or five different storylines from the Old Testament. It's a big deal, man. It is a big deal. It's Kind of like that. It's a pinnacle or a climax of, as you said, multiple pieces of the Old Testament. Pinnacle, Pentecost, pinnacle cost, pinnacle cost. <laughs> well, um, I want to I want to read the text here in just a second. Before we do that, let's just at the very beginning of the of the conversation, let's just aim for clarity, man. Like, if you had to define what is Pentecost, what will you tell our church? So Pentecost. Um, if you think of a Pentagon, you saw like the number five, so fifty. So we get this this mm-hmm. this event that happens fifty days after uh, fifty days in, in the the Easter celebration from the beginning of Passover all the way to the end of of you know we've got Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate that, and that's usually where we stop off. But Pentecost is this Christian celebration. 50 days after this event and where they where the Holy Spirit comes and we are we see the Holy Spirit descend on uh, these disciples and followers of Jesus and they are able to understand one another in their own language and as a result of this Peter gets up and preaches and thousands get saved um, mm-hmm. but so so on a low level uh, general um, explanation of Pentecost. That's that's what it is. But there's so much more to that, especially with a 
if you're understanding the Jewish traditions that that lined up with this, what we call, what we celebrate now in the Christian liturgical calendar. Yeah. So, like, if I were to summarize what you said, I would say, let me know. Do you think this is a sufficient definition? Um, Pentecost is the celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit to inaugurate the church. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, that's much better than what I just gave. Well, would you? <laughs> well, it's more succinct, but <laughs> uh, like, would would you call Pentecost the church's birthday? Like, I've heard I've heard people refer to Pentecost as the inauguration of the church or the church's birthday. I think that'd be a fair and helpful um, explanation. Like uh, one of my favorite theologians, he describes Pentecost as God's infiltration into into the hearts of his mm, believers. Dang, so he's, infiltration. He's infiltrating the world um, and, and yeah, birthing the church. This, this movement of people who followed Jesus while he was alive, they saw him put to death, they saw him resurrect, they saw him ascend, and then he goes away. They can't see him anymore. Mm. And so the Holy Spirit descends, fills the believers. And so, yeah, then you have these former ragtag uh, Jewish messianic people who are now made into this new thing, the church. Yeah, yeah. God's got the, 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 these little mobile temples where God's presence lives and, and dwells. Yeah, we, I, I named the, the two-week sermon series on Pentecost, Church on Fire, which I like. But now I'm like, man, I wish we would have called it the infiltration of God. <laughs> the invasion of God. The invasion of God. Oh, dude. Like, you know, have like an alien background. <laughs> now that would have been silly. That would have been a little too much. Yeah, but. that's a little too coal yeah. for a church-wide <laughs> thing. I like that aggressive uh, wording of infiltration. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like me God too. Infiltrating, the wor- infiltrating the world by placing his spirit in these believers and unifying them and rallying them and using them to go about his, his ministry of reclaiming the nations. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, so, so the celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit to create the church. Here's the actual text. This is the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There's a lot in here, and you're not going to understand it when I read it the first time. But after we look at a couple different storylines from the Old Testament, we'll read it again, and I hope that you'll be able to grasp it then. So this is first four verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Holy cow. (laughs) You've You've got people huddled in a room. You've got a mighty rushing wind. You've got tongues of fire descending from heaven, and you've got people speaking in tongues that they can understand. So there's a lot going on here, okay? There's a ton going on here. To explain exactly what's going on, we're going to have to do some big biblical theology of some Old Testament stories. We've got three, um, maybe, maybe four. So we'll start with the story of Babel. Do you, can you tell this? I'm putting you on the spot here. No, this is fine. But we just we don't understand we don't understand Pentecost if we don't understand Babel. Yeah. So this is man, this is why I love, I love the Bible. This is huge. Yeah, um, this is huge. So yeah, so in, in Genesis we see God creates humanity. His goal for humanity was to cover the the world with his image and with his glory. Humanity rebels against him and they're kicked out of the garden. But the the mission of of humans multiplying and going out over all of the earth, that mandate was still in effect. 
But instead of humans mm-hmm. uh, fulfilling that mission and mandate that God had given them, they decided to, to stay together, and they got all high and mighty on themselves. They they were yeah. puffed up yeah. with their with their own pride. So they construct this this tower, this place that um, that they were that they were using to summon God to say to to tell Yahweh, "Hey, uh, we know you told us to go about all over the earth and be your imagers, but we kind of want to stay here and build this really cool city and build this really cool tower. Mm-hmm. Um, so you come get on our level, come down to us, and uh, we're going to dictate terms. We're going to give you a, a mandate." God, seeing this, you know, the text says he has to come down to see it, so it's not that big of a deal to him. Uh, he comes down and <laughs> it's like he, he stoops. Yeah, he has to like get on a knee and squint one eye and oh, close the is, other. This is your tower. This is so cute. This is so cute, guys. Wow, Russell. Yeah, Look at these Legos. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, in order for God to to stay on his mission for using humans to image him, he he confuses their languages. He divides up their languages, and so people have to form together with other people who speak their language, and this causes humans to to scatter and to to go across the, the earth. Um, and so that's what you have. You have God confusing the languages so that people would go, so that they would go and mm-hmm. fulfill this mandate mm-hmm. of covering the, the earth with the knowledge of his glory and with his image. Um, that's how God went about him, him went about making his people fulfill <laughs> fulfill the uh, that that mandate. But what also happens with the Tower of Babel is that God disinherits the nations. He says, mm-hmm. "You don't want. You, I, I wanted to be your God. I wanted you to be my people, but you have rebelled against me. And so, as as punishment, I'm going to disinherit you." But he, what he does is he he claims one nation from for himself. He claims. He claims Israel as his inher- as his inheritance, as the people he is going to use to reclaim the nation. Mm, and mm-hmm. we've got a lot of things that happen in between that moment and Pentecost. So yeah, yeah. So when you look at Babel, you've got you've got strange languages, people scattered and divided. That's like that's like the big point of of Babel, among other things. But mm-hmm. I think that's a like a fair assessment of what's going on there. And uh, this was not for like. For, for Old Testament believers, this was not just like one story in the Old Testament. This was like a framework through which they made sense of like a lot of things that were happening to them. This uh-huh. was like a dominant narrative that they would have grown up hearing. And so they, I think, would have been, I, I think it's right to probably say they would have been haunted by Babel. Um, they would have been haunted by even God's choice of Abraham to go to the nations and their failure to fulfill that, right? Mm-hmm. Like. God desires to reclaim the nations. And if you're an Old Testament believer, you're like, God, what are you doing? Like, where, why aren't, why aren't most of the nations like worshiping you? Why haven't you reclaimed it? So there's like this cliffhanger in the Old Testament where like, man, Abraham's commission hasn't been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. People are still scattered, divided, fighting with one another. Put that story in your back pocket because... That's going to help you make sense out of Pentecost. So story number one is Babel. Story number two is the story of the temple. We've done a lot of temple theology in these last couple of years as a church, but I don't think you can properly make sense of what goes on at Pentecost if you don't understand the story of the temple. So the story of the temple obviously like begins in Exodus. We we see that before they're in the promised land of Jerusalem, like they make a, a mobile temple in, in Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, what are like? What are some significant features of the tabernacle, like the mobile temple, that stand out to you? Yeah, so the the, the tabernacle, I mean, and, and with the temple, but um, it's to 
it's to create this place that is Eden-like. It has this, this yes. imagery of Eden and God's plan to remake creation into Eden. And so within Eden, Eden, Eden was God's earthly home. This is where he lived and he walked and talked with Adam and Eve after he created them, enjoying his, his creation. And whenever, whenever sin entered the world... God could no longer dwell directly with with his humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tabernacle is this is this structure that God commands the people to build in a very uh, unique and very particular and specific manner. But in the tabernacle, you have this area w- that is the Holy of Holies, where God's presence resided on earth. Right. And you couldn't yeah. just walk up in there whenever you wanted to. But the tabernacle, and as, as a Jewish person, you would see the tabernacle and you, you would think, that's where God lives. That's where his spirit is. And we it is other than, it is holy, holy, holy. We can't just walk up in there. But it's a, this physical reminder that, that Yahweh is with his people. It's, it's heaven on earth, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times we don't realize that like everything in the tabernacle and then the temple was, the architecture was designed to remind us exactly of what you said, which was Eden. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you've got the throne of God. You've got the 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 Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God is on the throne. You've got the two golden cherubim on both sides of of the throne, which should remind you of the the cherubim with flaming swords at the at the entrance of the Garden of Eden to mm-hmm. keep out sinners. And so yeah. everything about like the tabernacle and the temple should be remind you like, oh man, like this is heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. This is heaven intermingled with earth. This is God's dwelling place. It's sacred space. Right. And so like when they erect the, the the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, there's this huge momentous moment. When they finish laying the foundations of the tabernacle and building it, the glory of God descends upon the tabernacle and fills it. It's like this fiery, luminescent, flaming, just awesomeness from heaven that fills the tabernacle. And so eventually, you know, God's people settle down in Jerusalem. And so they don't need a, a mobile temple anymore. So it's time to build uh, a, a non-mobile temple. And so they build the first temple. And of course, when they build the first temple, the same thing that happens with the first temple or happens with the tabernacle happens with the first temple. They erect it, they build it, and then boom, the glory of God, this fire that descends from heaven fills the temple. This is huge. Like they're like, hey, this is where God dwells. This is a reminder that God is with us. And then God's people end up sinning, and so they end up getting annihilated by a neighboring nation. They destroy the temple. They go into exile. Life is horrible. But eventually, God redeems his people, brings them back to the promised land, and they build a second temple. Um, and of course, as a reader, you're thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to lay the foundation. They're going to build the temple, and then the glory of God is going to descend on it in fire. And they finish building the temple, and the glory of God does not descend on the second temple. Mm -hmm. And it leaves everybody wondering, where's the glory of God? Mm -hmm. Where's the presence of God? Why hasn't God filled his temple? It's a big deal. Gut-wrenching story. Yes. They remember the glory days of God's presence in the temple. Yes. And now, where's God? Has he abandoned us? Right. Has he abandoned his mission? Has he forgotten us? If we, if we don't understand that feeling of exile, being in exile, not being with the presence of God, in what appears to be an almost empty temple, we don't understand the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so that's a cliffhanger, and you're going to want to put that story in your back <laughs> pocket, because Pentecost is going to help you crack that nut, too. Um, but let's do, a, let's do a third story. 
This is uh, the story of the joining together of heaven and earth. We've already teased this out a little bit, um, but here's here's Ezekiel chapter one, and this is a huge vision that Ezekiel has of the glory of the Lord. It says Ezekiel chapter one verse four. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, it was gleaming metal. So this is, I mean, Ezekiel's going to go on for like 26 more verses. <laughs> but what he's seeing is the invasion of heaven into earth. Mm-hmm. He's seeing the throne of God, um, but it's on a, like, it's on a chariot. Like it's, it's attached to earth. It's the intermingling of heaven and earth. And this is represented by this great stormy wind that comes from the north. So this is going to become like a, a representation of all the Old Testament of heaven mm-hmm. invading earth is there's like this stormy wind that happens. I feel like this is big because as Westerners, we tend to view heaven as the place that we go when we die. Mm-hmm. Is that like the dominant narrative that you heard growing up? Yeah, that's you. What happens when you die? Well, if you believe in Jesus, then you go to heaven, mm-hmm. and it's this ethereal place that is that's that you can't touch, that you can't see, but your spirit goes goes to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's something that the way that we describe heaven is far different than the way that the scriptures define heaven and the the new creation. Yeah, I think so too. Like, what do you feel like are the key differences? That heaven. Um, Heaven is where God is, and so we look at we look at His created world here on Earth. We see that heaven can overlap with Earth. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in Eden. That's what was happening in the in the tabernacle. That's what was happening in the temple. Heaven and Earth were intermingled because God's presence was was there. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Instead of it just being a place that you go to, heaven is a place that that comes to to us with God's presence. Um, so I think that so and just like this vision of of Ezekiel's, he sees heaven and earth overlap. This is what happens when, with Mount Sinai when Moses is talking with God. There's this point where heaven and earth are overlapping. God is meeting mm-hmm. his 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 representative for Israel on this on this mountaintop, and it is it uses this divine uh, heavenly language to describe it. He he comes down in a cloud. He comes down uh, yeah, in fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you see these moments where you see heaven and earth overlap is really important because heaven isn't God's plan B, right? It's it's never been like okay, the sin thing happened and you died, so I'm gonna make this place for you guys to go to whenever you die. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's not God's plan B, it's his plan A. Mm-hmm. He created heaven before he created us. Yeah. So, I think that's something that's key to remember, too. Because I, and I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that intentionally, of, uh, yeah, heaven is God's plan B to rescue his people from hell, which is mm-hmm. such a weird thing to think about. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I think that's the way that we treat it a lot. It's like, yeah, we could have walked and talked with God in the garden, but people sinned, and therefore God has this place for us as like His backup plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like something that I have to be careful about, especially like as I kind of rebuke Western notions of Christianity, is to like remind our church, like, and to remind myself, we we do go to heaven when we die. Mm-hmm. It's just 
going to heaven when you die is actually not what dominated Jesus's mind. No. When he was it's it's not what dominates the Old Testament. It's not what dominates the New Testament. What dominates the New Testament and the Old Testament is not that we go to heaven when we die, even though that's true, it's that God's ultimate plan is to reunite heaven and earth in one location uh-huh. in new creation. Yes. And uh I think you can listen to Andrew and I talk about this stuff and be like I think you guys are making a bigger deal out of this <laughs> than the Bible does. Um, the problem with that is Jesus. And the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bible. <laughs> because, I mean, among other things that we're talking about, this Ezekiel moment in Jesus's mind, this Eden moment in Jesus's mind dominated his prayers. Like when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray and Jesus taught us to pray, our central prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's like the central thing that we pray is to see heaven come to earth. Yep. It's not like we're just trying to copy the style of heaven and bring it to earth. Like we literally are we're praying that God would make things that are true in heaven come to earth and be that be that on earth. And that's what we see in uh, in Revelation. Like that's what God's plan is is to reunite heaven and earth, yeah. to re- reunite his dwelling place with his human imager's dwelling place. Yeah. And until that happens, God has given us Blender bottles. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of blender bottles because it's how I can mix my pre-workout with my water and my protein with my milk. Gosh. But God wants us to be like little blender bottles, yep. right? Where heaven and earth get mixed together into into one substance. Into yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, this is a ridiculous metaphor. I mean, if Jesus, whenever he took took on human flesh, he be, he became this little snapshot of what heaven on earth looks like, what that marriage of of heaven and earth look like. He mm-hmm. goes, he heals people. Death is not supposed to exist, but it, it does because of sin. Uh, people aren't supposed to get sick, and Jesus heals people. So he's given this little snapshot of what what's new creation yeah, going to yeah. look like. People aren't going to die. People aren't going to be sick. Uh, the, the weirdos of this lifetime are going to have a seat right next to Jesus at the table in new creation. Right? Yeah, so it's this yeah. unraveling of chaos and, and showing and giving these little snapshots of this is what heaven is like. And this little, this me resurrecting Lazarus, he's going to die again, but in new creation, whenever, whenever I return in, in glory and in judgment, there's going to be no death. You're not going to die and then need to be resurrected because you, you, you are going to be participating in the resurrection of the body. Oh, this is so good. Okay. So it, like, I feel like we're finally, I feel like we're finally on, on the cusp of understanding Pentecost. So uh, get your Bible open, bro, to Acts chapter two, verses one through four. Now, here's what you need to do, church. We we just we just talked about three central Old Testament stories, longing, hopes, and dreams. Take all three of these hopes. The hope of Babel, seeing people scattered, confused with strange languages. And as an Old Testament believer, you're wondering when is God going to reverse Babel and join people together? Take take the story of the temple that desire to see the presence of God descend in glory in that fiery luminescence and fill the temple. When is God going to do that? And then take the story of heaven and earth joining together. When is the mighty rushing wind of heaven going to invade earth? These three things are such, they they would have been on the forefront of your heart as an Old Testament believer. Take these three hopes and then listen to Andrew read Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire and and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in others languages such as the spirit gave them utterances awesome it's all there dude you've got a mighty rushing wind from heaven it's finally happening mm-hmm. heaven is invading earth you've got the holy spirit giving tongues and they're understanding different languages. God's finally reversing Babel. Mm-hmm. You've got tongues of what? Fire descending from heaven. You have the glory of God finally returning to the temple. But rather than filling a building, rather than filling a temple, it fills us. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of those narratives coming together, and boom, there's Pentecost. Uh oh. What's that gonna do? Yeah, man, dude, Amazing, it is dude. the total unraveling of Babel. The total, un- where people's languages were confused, now they're able to understand these languages in their own language. They're all, they're all hearing the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's not only God just like toppling the Tower of Babel, but it is him undoing every implication of the Tower of Babel. Different languages and dispersion, now, now hearing one another in the same way, and unity being brought about. Yeah, yeah, it's so sweet. And you've also got the temple narrative that's coming together, which I think would have been like momentous. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, here's the glory of God descending from heaven. It's going to be sweet as it fills the temple, and instead it fills people. People. (laughs) (laughs) So sweet. Yeah, and and that's something that we've you know, been driving home repeatedly for at least two years. But if you don't understand the the significance of the temple being the place where God's spirit dwells, then you're not going to understand the importance of you being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these people, like I'm at, like you're thinking, oh, that's going to go to the temple. Right. And yeah, it doesn't totally. go to the temple. It goes in them. They're now yeah. this place where heaven and earth overlap. Yeah. You're thinking, oh my gosh, are we... Now the new temple uh-huh. and the new testament just is like yes you yeah. are because they they would have understood the the holy of holies where God dwelt that was sacred space and so now they were made sacred space where God could dwell and wants to dwell well how did that happen and that they, they would have launched their minds into thinking okay the the way that we maintained um, corporate um, Corporate forgiveness so that God would, would live with us was from sacrifice. Well, what mm-hmm. a, oh, we heard these prophecies about this Messiah coming to be sacrificed. Oh, that must mean that Jesus' blood and his life and his death and his resurrection, that's made me sacred, sacred space where God can dwell. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much going on here. Yeah, dude. So I'm, I'm obviously, like, we are obviously psyched to celebrate Pentecost for the first time as a young church. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple reasons myself, but let's just answer that question. Why practice Pentecost? We're a reformed gospel-centered church. Um, we like we don't need to have our tradition does not tell us you have to practice the liturgical calendar, but instead we've chosen to practice Pentecost. So I've got a couple reasons. Like, do you have any reasons on the forefront of your mind of why practice the season of Pentecost? I mean, I've been thinking about it in the same way that. Um, why practice Sabbath? 
Uh, okay, if we're not bound by the law any longer, why, why should we practice Sabbath? Well, because there's an ideal embedded in these commandments that God gave Israel. Uh, just in the same reason why people from all over the world were gathered at, um, were, were gathered for Pentecost was they were commanded to, the men were commanded to, to go to these three festivals and offer up sacrifices and, and the first fruits of their crop and of their, of their cattle. Um, we're not commanded to do that anymore, mm-hmm. but what happens when we do um, take these the ideas that are embedded in these festivals or in these celebrations. Well, it it is it reminds us of certain things at certain parts of the year. The same reason why we practice Advent. We want to yeah, we, we want to yeah. step into this tradition of longing for the Messiah to return. Um, and so with Pentecost is we get to we get to strategically every year now moving forward we get to strategically pause like we're interrupting our Roman series and our church is so stoked about our Roman series, mm-hmm. um, but we're we're taking a, a strategic pause to celebrate Pentecost because it reminds us that we are God's people, that we are his temples where he lives and we are all being built up into the same household of God together. So that, that's, that's one reason is it helps us remember things because we're stupid and we forget things all the time. <laughs> that's why we eat and drink yeah, communion yeah. every Sunday because Jesus has commanded us to do it until he returns. Why? Because we forget that he loves us sometimes. We forget that he gave himself up for us sometimes. We forget that our, our sins have been forgiven because of his sacrifice sometimes. So we do these things to remind ourselves of certain things. Yeah, it, like, and it does remind us of the, the, the bigger story that our church is a part of. I feel like as Christians, sometimes we, we only live in the resolution part of the story or like the resolution part of the movie. And we forget all of the plot and all of the conflict that leads up to the resolution. Mm-hmm. Like, as Christians, we're gospel-centered, and rightly so. But sometimes we think that, like, life is only, Jesus forgives me of my sins, Mm -hmm. which is so fundamentally beautiful and good and true. But sometimes we forget that we are part of this long, long story of, hey, when's the Messiah going to come? Hey, when's the glory of God going to fill the temple? Hey, when is God going to draw the nations back to himself? Hey, when is God going to join heaven and earth together once again? And you see yourself, when you begin to see yourself as part of such a huge story, your life just becomes, I think, more rich and more interesting and Mm -hmm. more profound. I agree. And I I think it helps us be more um, emotionally spiritual as well. Like yeah, these, yeah. I mean, it's the same. Like, why do we celebrate birthdays? Like, and I don't. Ever since I was like ten years old, I I was over the birthday thing. I didn't want to ask for presents. <laughs> yeah, you would be. Man. I didn't. Yeah. You know, I didn't eat birthday cake. Whenever Tracy and I were engaged, I didn't want to. You know, go all out and have this big wedding. Um, but the reason we do those things is because there are these these rich moments where we can increase our emotionality to where we can feel things in the way that we're supposed to feel them. And that, that weirds out a lot of reformed people, but, and we want to strip feelings sure, and right. emotions out of everything, but that's not how God commands us. Like right, we right. were intent, we, God created us with emotions, with feelings, with senses. And so what can we do to enrich those? So whenever I celebrate my anniversary with my wife, I'm reminding myself and experiencing and trying to replay and relive our wedding day. Not because that was the glory day, um, and our our you know every year has just been terrible. It's it's to remind myself of my commitment to my wife, right? Right. And, and so with celebrating Pentecost, it's oh God is committed to His people and to His mission, and He deems me worthy because of blood, the because of the blood of Jesus right. to live in me and use me. Yeah, I feel like I I like the anniversary analogy a lot because like. 
the way that some people respond to the liturgical calendar is is silly when you frame it in the context of a relationship. Where like you can imagine someone being like, uh bro, you're you're actually supposed to love your wife every day. It's like, duh. But like it's helpful to set aside one day and to just use that day as a huge, awesome reminder of the reality that we live in day by day. Yes. Absolutely. And it you know, it it, it forces us to not just study theology. We're going to create some space in our Pentecost service that's not going to be just expositional, exegetical Bible preaching where you can sit and take notes. It's going to mm-hmm. force you to engage in this and, and with your with your heart and with your mind, and with your soul and with your strength to engage in this celebration. Yeah, right. Because yeah, I don't totally. just on, our, on my anniversary, I just be like, "Hey, Tracy, remember that time we got married?" And I praise God, we're still married. Like, no, we we go out for a nice meal. We get yeah. we get dressed up. We look at pictures from our wedding day, and I'm like, oh man, I definitely couldn't fit that suit on me. You know, this day maybe I should you know lose a little weight so I could you know maintain some health. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. it, it forces all of who you are into the sure. into that celebration, and um, as we see in Acts two, like God doesn't just say He doesn't just tell them, hey, I'm gonna fill you guys with my spirit. Like he show gives them visible symbols of right. I yeah. now call. I'm now calling you people my temple. Wherever you go, my presence is going. You're going out as an imager of of my kingdom, and you are representing heaven on earth. Yeah, yeah. Another reason why I think I, why practice this season. Another another reason is it just reminds the church of where the power's at. Mm-hmm. You know, like the. It, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers. Like when Jesus commands us to go make disciples, when Jesus commands us to live a Christian life, when Jesus demands that we conform our lives to him, we have to realize that the power is not in us. Like there was a mighty rushing wind that came from heaven and fire that descended from heaven. And that's where the power is at. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reminder of the beauty of church. Like the Holy Spirit is not just in the preacher on Sunday mornings. Like it's in us. All of us. Mm-hmm. And we need to be reminded of the power of God in all of us. Because uh-huh. right after this happens, Peter, the guy who who denied Jesus three times, he stands up with the other apostles there, and it says in verse 14, raised his voice and declared to them, Judean men and all of those, all those who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Pay attention to my words. He's trying to tell them, hey, they're not drunk. Uh, they weren't, you know, doing some day drinking, as you yeah, assume. Was, um, yeah, amazing, amazing part of the story. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to, to quote uh, the prophet Joel, and then people hear this, this message that Peter boldly delivers, and they get saved. Was it because Peter gave a cool sermon? No, it's because the Holy Spirit had filled Peter, and Peter stands up and boldly proclaims th- by the power of the Holy Spirit the good news mm-hmm. of, of Christ. Um, and people get saved. It wasn't Peter's doing. Peter, that dude was a coward at times, or he was you know, d- dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the Holy Spirit is living in this man, and he is boldly uh, proclaiming and prophesying and preaching the gospel. I love it, man. It also reminds the church of what type of church we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. God desires for us to be this undoing of Babel where different types of people are reconciled together and know one another, pray for one another, share our lives with one another, and understand one another's lives. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful picture of nations t- coming together. It is. 
because I mean, you really have to read all of Acts 2 to like get everything, and we don't have time to do yeah. that. But, but you should. like If you're listening to this podcast, you should you should read Acts 2 after this. Yeah, absolutely. Read Deuteronomy 32. Read Genesis 11. Read Deuteronomy 32. And then read Acts 2. And then after you've done all that, then go and look at Paul's missionary journey. Because now God has he has claimed for himself a singular people, not just people from one nation. And we see all these nations represented in Acts 2. And it's significant because it's the reversal of Babel. It's the mm-hmm. undoing of, of Babel, where God mm-hmm. doesn't just have a people, a group of people, but now he has a people for himself. Mm-hmm. His kingdom is one that is represented by all types of people, all languages of people. And so this, this moment in Pentecost is, is God showing that he is a God who is fulfilling his promises to reclaim the nations. That's what's To up, have dude. one earthly human family. And so for us as a local church in Des Moines, Iowa, we can say we're a part of these people. Mm-hmm. Don't, Frontier Church doesn't have, we can't exclusively claim that we are God's only people on earth because we believe in Pentecost. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's good, man. So there's a couple of reasons for why we're practicing this season. Let's, let's, let's kind of, let's turn the corner here for the last five, 10 minutes of this podcast. And let's just talk about how exactly are we practicing this season? I would love for people listening to this podcast to walk away from this podcast with complete and total clarity on if I want to get the most out of this season, and if I really want to step into the Pentecost story during this season, here's exactly what I can do to make this season count for my discipleship to Jesus. So how are we practice in this season? Well, technically, Pentecost is one Sunday, and it's on Sunday, May 23rd. We've taken that, and we've expanded that to two Sundays. So we're going to celebrate Pentecost over the course of two Sundays. So this coming Sunday... We're going to preach a prelim sermon that Snowden is going to preach. It's going to be the bomb. And it's just going to set us up for Pentecost Sunday. What Luke is going to do is he's going to explore the Old Testament and kind of point to where the Holy Spirit is promised and hidden in the Old Testament. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. So it's, it's going to be a quick break from Romans. Um, it's going to, this Sunday is going to be a regular Sunday, but Luke's going to kind of tee up Pentecost. He's going to, see, he's going to, he's going to throw a meaty, like just a... a a meaty fastball right over the plate for us. (laughs) And then what's going to happen during Pentecost week is we're going to have two house worship nights, Mm -hmm. Monday and Thursday of next week. To get participation in those, what we're doing next week is we're canceling all community groups and we're encouraging our church to pick one of those two nights to celebrate. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen at these. I don't either. Freaks me out. Right? <laughs> Joseph is going to lead us in worship at both of those. Mm-hmm. It's going to be mostly prayer and worship. But dude, there's just like something that's happening in our church right now that I cannot explain by looking at our own efforts. Mm-hmm. I've never been a part of our church and thought, I wonder what's going to happen this Sunday. Yeah, me either. <laughs> And and I know it's not something that you're just sensing or that I'm just sensing because several church members have said, there's something going on and I, I can't explain it. And mm-hmm. people who've been from Frontier since day one are saying that and people who've been at Frontier for a year or two years are saying these things. And yeah, we, know, right? we can't explain it. We can't say, oh yeah, we did this one thing really, really well and that's why we're all sensing this. Dude, like... I'm not a crier. I'm just not. Like, I'm not a crier. Like, I I really haven't cried since Della was born. 
And in this last month, there have been two Sundays where the Lord has just filled me with so much of his presence that I've like wept through most of the service. And I just like, I, I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen this coming Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's like so exhilarating and exciting. It is. And I'm thankful to God for that because 2020 was, was difficult. And, you know, with us doing two services out, out of size issues now, not just like social distancing, but just, we've got some, a lot of people in both services mm-hmm. and that's, that's tiresome. You know, it, it requires more of our time and more effort. You're preaching two sermons multiple times a month. So it's, it's, uh, it's been taxing physically and mentally and emotionally. And so I'm really thankful for God's kindness and giving our church this gift that we can't even really explain right now. Cause that's, that's been a driving force for me to be able to wake up early on Sundays and for our volunteers to be able to wake up early on Sundays. Cause they, everyone's there. We're all waking up wondering what are you, what the heck are you doing today? God, because you've been doing some crazy stuff in the, over the past couple of months. What what are you going to do this morning? Like what what miraculous thing am I going to mm-hmm. be able to, to witness and testify about? Dude, last Sunday I got two prophetic words from two different church members, and both of them touched a level in my heart that I didn't even know was there. Man, mm-hmm. I just like you know when when Redeemer was training me as a pastor, I had to write an essay on whether I was a continuationist or a cessationist. And I said, neither. I'm in the middle. And so, like, naturally, like, I'm a skeptic of the spiritual gifts. Like, I'm a skeptic of prophetic words. And I am absolutely confident that the vision that Alex gave me on Sunday and the word that Eric gave me on Sunday were directly from the Lord, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm absolutely certain. Like, Alex, in between services, gave me a vision from the Lord. And I... Even though the service was starting, I, I had to walk into the bathroom, shut the door, lock it, and for the first five minutes of the service, I just got on my hands and knees and cried and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I've never experienced it. I was mm-hmm. processing it with Chloe last night, and I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what's happening to me, but I like it. <laughs> I've never sensed the nearness of God to be so near, man. Mm-hmm. Like. <sighs> So you got you got to get there. Like yeah. I'm telling our church members that on the week of Pentecost, Monday, May 17th at the Curse House at 6 o'clock or Thursday, May 20th at 6 o'clock at the Myers House, you've got to get to one of those two services. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be keeping attendance. We're not going to slap you on the wrist if you don't go. I'm just telling you that we're on the edge of something that God's going to do in our church. I don't know what it is, but you got to get there and see it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just sing a couple worship songs and high five and leave. And if that's what happens, then praise God. That's what needed to happen. There might just be something different that happens though. Yeah. We don't know. That's right. That's why we want you to be there at one of those we don't know. <laughs> it's the same reason why you should come yeah. to church on Sundays. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Because we don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Like We can tell you the order of service. Mm-hmm. We can tell you who's going to be doing what on Sunday. But we don't know what God's going to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. Yeah. And we, I love that. Because if I could explain I know, it, right, if I could explain it, it wouldn't be an act of God. We can promise you that the word of God will be preached. We can promise you that the sacraments will be administered. We can promise you that the saints will worship God. But other than that, we don't know whether or not you're going to be on your face or if you're going to be yawning with your hands in your pockets. Mm-hmm. It could be both. Yeah. 
So it's just going to be crazy. So we got this coming Sunday. Luke's going to preach a prelim sermon. We've got Pentecost week, two house worship nights. But I mean, so I forgot to mention that these house worship nights are supposed to help us inhabit the story of Pentecost, right? The the saints are gathered together in a house when Pentecost descends upon them. Mm. So we kind of want to recapture that feeling of God's people huddled together in a house waiting for the outpouring of God's mm-hmm. spirit. Um, and then we've got Pentecost Sunday that's going to happen on May 23rd. That should be awesome. So a couple different things we're doing. We're going to encourage you to wear red, wear a red shirt, wear a red dress. We know that all of your cheesy alarms are going off when I say that, <laughs> but I, I personally want to have awesome discipleship conversations with my kids. I want Russell and I want Della to ask, why is everybody wearing red? On top of that, we're going to cover the floor with red rose petals. Can you explain that a little bit, dude? Uh, you probably better. This is my I, idea. I've never, that, yeah, well, yeah I've yeah. never heard of this before, but in... Uh, in Catholic churches and in Orthodox churches, um, they'll. What part of the service do they do it? Is it the beginning or the end? Uh, I think it's at the end. Okay, so then they, yeah, they chunk. There's some really cool YouTube videos in these like ancient basilicas that you can mm-hmm. can watch of thousands of rose, red rose petals falling to the floor that are being chunked off the top, and it's it's to to um, to symbolize the tongues of fire coming down. Yeah. So red fire, get it? I like. I had to ask Cole. I was like, "Why? Hey, what's up? Why? Why red on Sunday?" He's yeah. like, "Oh, the tongues for us." Oh, duh. Yeah, red fire. <laughs> Should have put that together in my, my own mind. But yeah, and I am. Uh, you know that I am one who does not enjoy the cheese factor in life. But uh, these 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 are helpful tools because I'm yeah. stupid and cynical. I need. I need little rose petals that we've got on the table right now. I need those things to remind myself of God's spirit descending and, and filling his people. I need those things. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I feel like a lot of times Christians are like, just tell me. Yeah. Just tell me the truth. And uh, God doesn't just tell us the truth. He does tell us the truth, but he also blows a mighty rushing wind upon us too. Uh-huh. He, he catechizes and teaches our, our senses too. And so mm-hmm. the red rose petals are just like a fun way of reminding ourselves of the descent of the Holy Spirit through tongues of fire. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be sweet. Kids are going to love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, the real kicker is on Pentecost Sunday, I'm only going to preach a 10 to 15 minute homily on the Holy Spirit. And then we're opening up open microphone time for the church to pray. How would you encourage our church to look forward to that? I would say if you're already listening, if you're listening to this podcast right now, begin to ask God, what do what do you want me to pray for my church? What do you want me to encourage the church with? Um, because sometimes, you know, your God spontaneously will give you a prayer. He'll give you something to share with someone. But, but a lot of the time, uh, it's you doing, doing work with the Lord in advance of, hey, what what do you have mm-hmm. for me? What do you have for this church? I, I want something to to share with the church. I want something to pray for the church. Give me a give me a scripture. Give me an give me an image from the from the scriptures. Uh, you, I would encourage all of our church members, and I'm doing this already, but. But go, start to ask God, like God, I want to pray for my church in spirit and in truth. I don't want to just get up and and feel like feel some social pressure that I need to get up and do this thing. Um, but 
start putting in the work now yeah, for the Lord yeah. to use it on Pentecost Sunday. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, I, I love that. Um, our church steps up when we do these things, man. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see how our church prays on Pentecost Sunday. I'm excited. I'm a little scared because, again, it comes back to that question <laughs> we've been having like this whole conversation, which is we don't know what God's going to do. Nope. We think that he's going to speak powerfully. We think that we're going to experience a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe not. It seems like Paul kind of expected that, though. We were having this conversation before we hit record where on two different occasions— Paul talks about um, scheduling in the New Testament. He, he talks about scheduling his missionary journeys around Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So Paul had some type of expectation that Pentecost was going to matter. In Acts 20, it says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So Paul was... Like, I got to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul saw Pentecost as this strategic point on the calendar for God's work. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly why. I don't either. We spent like 15 minutes trying to, we're going to have to do some more work on this because I... I've got to know now. But you had a good one about Jerusalem. What was your idea about why Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem during Pentecost? Well, I think um, as we saw with like the, with the first Pentecost, you see people from all over the nations um, gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking Paul is seeing this as a, a very strategic uh, missional and church planting um, uh, strategy where he's like, okay, people are yeah, from all over the yeah. world. We need to reach the nations. We need to reach all these people groups that were disinherited from from God at Babel. And so, uh, I need to go and make disciples and, and preach the gospel to people from all over the world, so that they can go back to where they're from and continue to make disciples and continue to 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 church plant. Because I can't get everywhere all the time, right? Which right. is why you know he'll roll up in certain places, and it's like, oh, there's Christians here. That's cool. And you can kind of trace a lot of that back to to the, the Pentecost where where the tongues of fire um, descended and, and filled the believers with. So that's, I, I think he's probably seeing yeah. this as like, uh, you know, Nam would say it's like sin cities. So like these cities oh, strategic, yeah. across a, a, yep. the, the country um, that have a, lo- a lot of uh, uh, internationals in there. That makes total sense. I, th- I do think that's exactly why he's like, I got to get to Jerusalem on Pentecost. It's the Ephesus one that surprises yeah, exactly. me, right? He says, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? He says, because a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. I don't understand Paul's logic. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to stay in Pentecost because God's doing something big and we've got a lot of enemies here. Like, what? I don't, what, what's, the, what's the logic there? I don't understand that. We're going to we're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. And maybe we'll have to do a second podcast. <laughs> yeah, once we come, to, once we figure it out in our own heads, then yeah, we'll have to. We're gonna leave you with a cliffhanger on that one right now, though. But you know, right now we've got a lot of new people in our church, and we got a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds coming from a lot of different churches. And part of me wonders, okay, God, during Pentecost, do you want to unite us mm-hmm. so that we experience a special type of unity, even though we have all different backgrounds? I, th- I think maybe that's something that God is up to right now in Frontier. I do too, and that's uh, 
talking with several church members the past couple of weeks, like we're sensing a lot of like God's doing a lot of uh, amazing things in the life of our church right now. But there's also a lot of suffering going on in our church right now, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, depression, whether it be um, being slandered by people, whether it being just some feeling like you're in in a pit and the enemy is just you know continuing to keep you down there. Um, like there's a lot of that going on. And some of the things I've heard church members say, I had this conversation with two different people on Sun this past Sunday and them saying the only way that we are going to get out of this, the only way that we're going to be able to endure the season is, is through unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've been praying for the, the past couple of weeks and preparing for Pentecost is that God gives our church an inexplainable, inexplainable, unexplainable. I always go back. Anyway, a sense of unity, yeah. A sense of unity that we cannot explain. I think our church yeah. is unified and healthy right now, but we can explain some way some ways that we are unified. Um, we've seen people set aside their preferences for the sake of the building up of the church. We see people giving their gifts uh, and giving their 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 time to the church. And so there's some ways that we can kind of explain the yeah. unity that we have and yeah. and not crumbling during 2020. Um. But I, I'm asking God to give us a, a sense of unity that we cannot explain or rationalize. That w- we yeah, all walk yeah. away on Sunday morning saying, I don't have any words to explain what's going on other than saying that was a, a unique act of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so let's just make that official then, dude. I like that prayer a lot because, like I said, I'm in, I'm in a spot right now as a leader where for the first time I'm like, I don't know what God's doing. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm just following my nose, man. Like, I just feel like a bloodhound just trying to kind of sniff what the Lord is up to right now. And I like that prayer a lot. Mm-hmm. So let's end there. As we look forward as a church to Pentecost, we really, really, really want you guys to begin praying for a special, otherworldly, unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit that gives our church a tremendous amount of unity. Yes. It's the type of unity that only heaven being joined together with earth can explain, Mm -hmm. that only the glory of God filling his temple can explain. So start praying for our church to experience that type of unity, the type of unity that happens when people speak in different languages and understand one another. Mm -hmm. Pray like that for our church. Pentecost is going to be big for us. I just feel that way, bro. Mm -hmm. Any parting words from you? I think I already got it out of me, that last one. I want the Holy Spirit. Like I, I feel that now more than ever in my life, I, I I want the Holy Spirit to do something that we can't explain. I ask God for things all the time, but I there's something in my with the difficulties of what I've gone through the past year and a half. Like I've gotten to the point where I need the Holy Spirit's power. And our church, I hear so many people in our church say, "We need the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We need the Holy Spirit to 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 not let us." Uh, turn our backs on the things that God has done in our church so far, but we want to see more. Mm-hmm. We don't just want more, better statistics and metrics, but we want more of Jesus. We want to experience him more. We want to share him more with others. And the only way that we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it, man. Let's, let's end it right there. That was good. <laughs>